Welcome to The Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. I'm celebrating my 300th episode of the podcast with an interview with a celebrated retail innovator in Canada, co-founder of the innovative, award-winning Frank and Oak, Ethan Song. Ethan joins me with Frank and Oak in the rearview mirror to talk about his thoughts on post-COVID retail and his latest venture, Rare Circles. His mission with Rare Circles is to empower a new generation of entrepreneurs and brands to build deeper relationships with their communities through NFTs and blockchain technology. What does all that even mean? Why should retailers even pay attention to NFTs and Web 3.0? Ethan gives us the 101 and then the advanced lesson on what comes next. By setting a total number of NFTs, you're, you're effectively you know, creating the, the exact idea of ownership, which means there are, there are only a certain amount. Um, now, that amount can be a very high number. Uh, but it's still not infinite. Right. And, and that's, I guess, what, what's provocative or what's interesting for retailers who, as you know, you know, oh, too well, you know, retailers, we're all looking for something a bit exclusive, some something limited, something differentiated. Ethan, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you this afternoon? Great. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I have to say this is a, an interview I've been waiting years to have. Uh, I've been an admirer of, of yours and uh, as a retailer, as an innovator, so I'm really thrilled to, uh, to get you on the microphone. So thanks for uh, making time, and you got a new venture, and i got so many questions. <laughs> it's just fantastic. So thanks again for joining me. Of course. All right. Well, uh, let's, uh, you know, for the listeners, I know of you uh, well, but um, let's, uh, for the listeners, let's jump right in and tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and what you're doing today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in short, I uh, come from more of a technical background. You know, I studied uh, computer engineering at uh, UBC. I originally actually immigrated to Canada from China. And the interesting part is that my dad was in a technology space. My mom was actually uh, in a retail space. She owned a, an operated a single shop. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I was kind of born into this sort of like mix of technology and retail. And that's always the area that I was passionate about. And, uh, and so, you know, upon graduating, I worked for a short amount of time at Deloitte uh, in technology strategy. And after that, basically, I took the startup uh, entrepreneurship route. And uh, mm-hmm. for the last like 10 or 12 years, I dabbled in a mix of software as well as uh, retail slash, you know, brand uh, you know, activities, I would say I'm, I'm mostly known for, uh, having built and, and founded Frank and Oak, uh, which mm-hmm. was direct to consumer menswear brand, which, you know, over time evolved, uh, to include uh, women's wear as well. Um, I, uh, departed the company, uh, in early 2020 and, uh, I was, uh, mostly working, I would say as an advisor and angel investor for a while. And, uh, in the past year, uh, I've launched a new venture, uh, in the nascent, uh, NFT, uh, space. And so I, I definitely consider I'm still in commerce, uh, but in digital goods commerce now. Uh, and so I, I think we can talk about how those two connect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're very humble where you say you dabbled in entrepreneurship. I mean, really, uh, Frank and Oak was a breakthrough retailer. So, you know, not, uh, not many of us get a chance to do that. It's interesting that you're a hybrid of, of your parents, right? The, both the technology and the retail. Well, let's talk about rare circles. We're talking about it. I, I have so many questions, NFTs and, and blockchain and, and cryptocurrency and all that. It seems all wrapped up. You've got some funding behind you. Let's talk about it. Tell us the origin story. What's the value proposition? And, and let's just dive in. Yeah, I mean, I obviously, you know, having, having grown a business, you know, in the e-commerce ecosystem, obviously I've seen mm-hmm. the growth of, you know, platforms like Shopify, uh, yeah. even like email, email marketing platforms and messaging platforms and how effectively the ability to 
um, lower cost and increased distribution can basically uh, create brand new businesses. And, and so I, I was one of those entrepreneurs that benefited from the lowering of costs and the increasing distribution uh, in e-commerce. And so after I, I left uh, Frank and Oak, I was basically looking for, I would say, the next frontier uh, where I thought that commerce, creativity, and, and you know the overall uh, global distribution of goods and content was going to move into. And um, I had already been an investor, uh, investing in the you know blockchain as well Web three space, and so it was kind of like a perfect fit where I felt that I could bring something to the space uh, while still learning uh, from where the overall you know industry is going. And and you know, as it relates to NFT specifically, uh, I'm a pretty uh, firm believer that it will be a transforming te- technology, and that whatever we're seeing right now, right, the, the early realization of NFTs, whether it's you know trading of baseball cards or you know, a PFP projects. I think those are just like early uh, signs of what the technology can deliver. But I think we haven't even, you know, seen the tip of the iceberg yet. Well, for the listeners who may not be as familiar, I mean, it's hard to imagine anyone hasn't heard of MF- NFTs, but it's a whole different thing to understand them. Give us an NFT 101, and then we'll get into the more advanced discussion around it. I mean, I, it, 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 if I was to say it is a collectible that has blockchain behind it so you know it's authentic is that as simple as we can understand or am i simplifying it too much no i i think that's really what it is i, I think you know my my simple definition of it is an nft is something that you can own in a digital world right so it's bringing the idea of ownership uh, into the digital space where if i own a certain digital good well you can't own it because i own it uh whereas mm-hmm. previously you know, songs or content, you know, they're basically freely distributed and there isn't this idea of ownership. And so once you bring ownership into the digital space, that opens up basically a variety of opportunities. And, you know, as it relates to retail and brand specifically, I think there are two opportunities. Uh, uh, there are many, many opportunities in the, in the mm-hmm. future, but I think imminently, there, I think there are two opportunities that if I were uh, still a brand, I would look at. I think there's you know, number one, the one that, you know, we're, we're hearing the most about, which is this idea of the metaverse and, and digital goods overall. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll, you'll see people talk about digital clothing, uh, digital accessories, uh, filters, you know, in VR, AR, uh, Snapchat, or these kind of new, uh, you know, metaverse worlds like Roblox or Fortnite. You were already seeing some large brands partake in those. I think that's one opportunity. Um, I, my feeling to that is, it's going to be a massive market, but it's going to take a while before it takes mm. off uh, into something that is, you know, truly a revenue driver. I think right now it's definitely more of a marketing uh, and and kind of PR mm. stunt for a lot of brands. Uh, yeah. The second piece, it feels uh, like really, it feels like cloud yeah. cover to me. I mean, it, it, you know, you t- you mentioned Web three and Metaverse. Are they the same in your minds? I mean, again, I'm, I I don't want to grind you down in definitions, but I think it's kind of important. We you know everyone throws around Web three and. And metaverse. Uh, what, I don't think they're. I don't, I don't think they're the same. Uh, yeah, I think tell, that, talk about that. Talk about. That. Yeah, tell I me think, what you, think, which book Yeah, I think the metaverse is is one a realization of what what Web three could be. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, look, the, even the definition of Web three is you know it's not clear. I think you know mm-hmm. Web two point uh, You know, if you if you think that like Web one, you know, Web one is basically the ability for you know, uh, an online platform to communicate one-to-one, you know, with its audience. Mm-hmm. And Web2 is basically social media, mobile, everything around user-generated content. Then Web3, uh, what is the clear definition of Web3? And I think if you ask different people, there's going to be different definition. And I think 
from my perspective, it's really about an extension web two, which means deeper participation, deeper ownership uh, into the experience itself. And so, you know, if you think about it in the web 2.0 world, you know, there's been massive value being created on platforms like Facebook or Instagram, you know, or YouTube, but most of that value was captured by the, by Google or by Facebook. By the and, yeah. Yeah. And, and think about it, even think about all the retailers that are, are spending millions of dollars on Facebook every year. They don't own the data. They don't own the customer that they have on those platforms. And, you know, it's honestly, it's kind of doubtful what their true ROI, right, to that marketing spend is, I think, for a lot of folks. So, well, at, the, uh, at this point, I mean, at this point, right? I mean, I talk to retailers all the time who are, you know, listen, you got to be engaged in the platforms, but uh, they're, they're looking at something you did, which is opening stores to do everything from build relationships to simply acquire customers, right? So trying to manage that lifetime value equation when the platforms have a pretty good grip on, on, um, as you said, web two is, is tough, right? It's very tough. And like, you know, I think, uh, policies and algorithms are, are changing. Obviously right now, everyone is struggling with the changes that are happening, you know, with privacy policies, which I, I think are the new right ownership. policies. Got a bit of new ownership in uh, web two. Yeah, now. exactly. I mean, as we'll see what, what changes that happens. Right. So yeah. it's, it's very hard for, uh, you know, brands today to depend on any single channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the idea of Web3 is that both the fans as well as the brands would have more ownership in that relationship. And so now, obviously, that's, you know, kind of like very broad terms. Um, mm-hmm. And there's going to be many ways through which this realizes that this actually brings me to sort of like that, you know, item two of what I think brands opportunities that brands have, which is really around community engagement and building more loyalty in your fan base. And I think that's a more a short-term potential benefit of, that you can leverage NFTs to create. Uh, and that's where actually Rare Circles, uh, my new company mm-hmm. in this space, is focused on, which is really the, helping uh, brands and retailers to build uh, NFT-based uh, experiences uh, to deepen engagement with their fans. So walk me through, you create an NFT uh, and you know, perhaps before rare circles, you needed some coding or you needed to find out how to do it. I mean, it's not intuitive, you know, retailers sitting in their office. How do I create an NFT? It's not like they can, you know, it's not conventional merchandising. So it sounds like I've been meandering through your site that rare circles kind of isn't a one and done. You can go there and you will help create an NFT out of something. So just walk me through the the value proposition as you were sitting in front of a, a retailer explaining, here's what this is all about and why you need to pay attention. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Basically, you know, the idea behind our platform is to make it easier and simplify uh, both the technical and knowledge gap uh, to get started in this space. What we do offer is the right tools and the right content that allows you to create an NFT, you know, Mm -hmm. so the idea of like creating an NFT, you know, minting into the blockchain. Uh, We give you tools to sell uh, the NFT, which means transacting, uh, whether you want to transact in uh, cryptocurrencies or if you you know want to kind of slowly dab into the space and transact in more traditional fiat Canadian dollars US dollars uh, mm-hmm. that's the second component and lastly which I think is the most important and, and underrated piece is how do you engage with your users once they own the NFTs and what are the benefits of doing so and so we offer all three components which we think is an all, all-inclusive mm-hmm. solution that enables you know brands to get started without having to build an entire team you know we're early in the right. space you know, I think there's a lot of unknowns. I think it's way too early to start hiring people, right, for Web3 uh, mm-hmm. when you're still trying to get your customer acquisition team together. And so, <laughs> um, but, th- but that said, you know, as, as history mm-hmm. has shown, um, 
the, the companies, the brands that are able to take risks, they're able to kind of be early on new platforms yeah. tend to succeed. Well, you got, you got to pay attention. It's all a matter of degree, right? It's not like there's, there's a, you know, it's not like there's nothing to occupy our minds these days. So, all right. So let's walk through this. So I've got a, a logo in front of me actually from my uh, barbecue show, which I kind of like, and I want to create it as an NFT. Walk me through. So I go onto your site and I pay money to you to do that. So walk me just through the business model. And uh, let's say I don't want to use cryptocurrency. What did you call it? Fiat currency? So the old school, I just want to create an NFT and uh, that would be interesting for me to, as you say, dive in. So walk me through what I would do and, and how the business model works. Yeah, I mean, I think the, from a business model perspective, it's very simple. It's a, basically a monthly subscription. And so we don't, we don't take any large kind of upfront fee. Uh, we're not an agency, so you don't have to like, you know, get a custom solution built just for you and have to support that uh, going on. So actually, it's, it ends up being very affordable to do so. But effectively, you would go on, create... Uh, your profile, you would basically uh, go through a checklist of items for the NFT and, you know, set the right parameters. And if you don't know, um, you know, obviously we provide content and support mm-hmm. to make those decisions. Uh, once you do that, you like, what are some of the key decisions? Like, so I have no idea what I'm doing. So walk me through what would one or two of the three key decisions to be thinking about even before I visit your platform? What give me a sense of what those decisions would be? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is like, I would definitely you know, kind of think about what are, what are the goals we're trying to achieve with these NFTs, right? Is the idea to monetize, meaning like we want to generate revenue? Is the idea to build deeper loyalty in our, you know, thousand true fans? You know, is the idea of selling one or two pieces to raise money for charities? I think having a clear goal in mind before getting started would help. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is um, thinking about what is the size uh, of the release, meaning like how many, you know, NFTs will I create? But more importantly, how many people I want you know, to hold this NFT. So as an example, you know, if I want to create uh, a membership program for my, my top influencers, um, for my brand, then maybe a thousand is the right number, maybe 500 is the right number. So I think the, the, the issuance, the number matters a lot. And then like the, the third piece I would say is just figuring out, uh, how you're going to engage those users after, uh, they have the NFTs. But I, I think, to, to make it simple, it's really just a question of what, why are we doing this? What are the NFTs and what is the price and, and the issuance number? And I think that, that would get you started. So I guess it's kind of like a fine art print where you make one of 100, two of 100. So if I wanted to issue 100, and there's only ever going to be 100, and that creates the market, right? In other words, there's not going to be a million of these things out there. You, I, I'm going to decide I only want to create 100, and each one would be demarcated as one or two or 99 of 100. Is that right? That's that's one way of doing it, or you can have like a hundred that are all unique uh, and uh, mm-hmm. and the visuals. So I think I think both of these can work. But yeah, effectively, by setting a total number of NFTs, you're you're effectively you know creating the the exact the idea of ownership, which means there are there are only a certain amount. Um, now that amount can be a very high number, uh, but it's still not infinite. Right, and and that's I guess what what's provocative or what's interesting for retailers who as you know you know oh too well you know retailers we're all looking for something a bit exclusive some something limited something differentiated so is this that opportunity maybe it's you know that that by virtue of the fact that there's only a limited number whatever that number is it's created and that's why retailers you think should be paying attention to this i i mean i think i think for retailers i think they really so i mean when we say retailer it's a very broad um, kind sure, of sentence, sure. um, right? So I think, I think one thing I really believe in, and and you know, 
and something that I feel like is going to be really important for, for all people that are selling consumer goods in the future is this idea of, you know, building a strong community around your product or your brand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing more and more that, that channel differentiation ultimately doesn't matter that much. You know, I think everyone's going on the channel. Everyone's going to be in every social media platform. And so differentiation is, is very difficult and mm-hmm. competition is at the highest level ever because it's globalized and it's very easy to start a new brand. And so it's this idea of like death by a thousand cuts, right? Your competitor is not the store that's in front of you in the mall anymore. It's basically anyone in the world, including someone who's in a basement. And so if you take that into account, I would say the brands that have the strongest, most dedicated, most engaged communities are going to be the ones that effectively succeed in the future. And that's something I truly believe in. All the other optimizations of like, oh, conversion optimization on a website, ads optimization, yes, they matter, but they're not significant to shift basically the overall momentum uh, Mm. between yourself and another brand that either has a better or worse community. And so within that perspective, I would say, I would think of NFTs as a way to either build a community or strengthen the community as Mm. a first goal. And the second goal, of course, you know, I think it is appealing for brands and retailers to be able to sell digital goods because digital goods come with a 95% margin, which as we all know, with all the supply chain issues that we're seeing, <laughs> is not the say. case for physical goods, right? So yeah, yeah. it's definitely attractive and you're seeing new brands being built. I mean, a lot of the, the NFT projects, you know, I think if you even if you look at something like Board Ape, obviously, which has a tremendous amount of success, but there's a bunch of other ones, um, you know, people yeah, think what, of what, what like retailers are what retailers have done um, that you can think of that have done a successful NFT? So that w- what would you point to? Any any examples that you'd call out for us to go look at? I mean, I, I actually think that once again, like the term retailer is not the right term here. I, I think that like from a brand perspective, you know, Nike and Adidas have done very successful launches. You know, Adidas has even partnered with Board Ape, which is a, a crypto native uh, NFT project. So I think mm-hmm. they're thinking in the right way. And mm. they're thinking of it as like a, an extension of their brand, as an extension of their community. So I, I think that we're going to see more and more examples uh, of that. And, you know, uh, we are working with some of the, the top brands uh, on our side, which, you know, some of those projects will be revealed mm-hmm. in the next few months. But Exciting. what you're going to see is, is that I think the, the ones that are at the forefront of culture, that are at the forefront of like being, being close to their customers are going to be the ones that dabble the first in the space. Uh, you know, a streetwear brand called The Hundreds uh, in the U.S. has done a, mm-hmm. an amazing job at that. You know, that's something you, anyone on this uh, podcast can look up. Uh, okay. But I definitely think we're going to see more and more examples. You know, once again, because I'm going broader with the definition of retailers, I mm-hmm. think that, you know, food and beverage uh, is going to be a space where it's going to be tremendous innovation in terms of just creating more loyalty uh, to NFTs. Yeah, I guess I, it's true. I mean, retailers are brand or whatever, but I'm just trying to anchor it in uh, where to go look. So you've given us a couple of uh, a couple of great examples. Now, one last thing you've you've always had a strong orientation towards um, uh, responsible environmental responsibility, and is that a, an essence of this product as well? So I, I hear two schools to that two sides of that 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 the blockchain is a large consumer of electricity and power and then obviously you're doing digital goods so you know there's not a lot of waste or production or all that stuff how do you how do you think about that is this is this front uh, of how you think about this initiative or or is it something that just comes alongside i mean i, th- I think it's important no matter what initiative you take on and it's definitely something obviously i've, I've always cared about you know in my personal life mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and obviously there's criticism you know about the blockchain around the energy usage and energy consumption, mainly because 
you know, of the way that, you know, you have to run basically uh, the blockchain, the layer ones uh, of this world. And, you know, there's a lot of energy that requires in mining and uh, basically, mm-hmm. which, you know, people often uh, think about Bitcoin mining in that case, which, you know, they, they, when you think about that, they see like rooms and rooms of servers that are basically, you know, consume energy. And, and that is actually true. That is happening. Now, that said, uh, I would say that, you know, the, the new technologies that are coming, you know, especially with Ethereum 2.0 and, and even Solana, uh, or Polygon, and now I'm, now I'm throwing like names that most likely people on this call, uh, on this podcast don't know, but some of the yeah. new, like a lot of companies right now are tackling this issue. And I think there's better coming is what you're saying. There's, there's better. And, and it's coming very quickly. Uh, I would okay. say probably in the next 12 to 18 months. And, and I think, so I think the energy consumption, uh, issue in the blockchain is real, uh, mm-hmm. but to a certain extent is much easier to solve than physical infrastructure. Um, then, you know, supply, global supply chain, you know, air yeah. freight or, you know, physical locations. I think that's, that's a much more difficult equation to solve. But ultimately, you know, I, I, I do think that we're going to see more digital consumption. I do think that we're going to see also more higher quality consumption, meaning, you know, you, you're really going to see the world move into two directions, which is like pure commodities at a very low cost uh, and, you know, more premium products where people really care about the brands that they buy from. And, and we're, we saw that during COVID, and I think that's just mm-hmm. going to get it more accentuated going forward. Well, that's a nice uh, segue. I can't have you on the microphone with your experience without tapping into your retail wisdom and your brand wisdom. Thoughts about, you know, the the COVID era. Has, it, has retail been changed from your perspective? Some talk about it being accelerating, you know, some of the trends that already were existing accelerated. It, after this couple of three years, I mean, we're not quite out of it yet. You know, what, what's changed? I mean, if consumers changed as, as the industry changed, how do you, how do you reflect on it? I mean, I think everything's changed. Uh, and, and I think things have changed at a deeper level, you know, obviously, you know, if you look at the, obviously the stock market is down right now, but you know, obviously the trends towards even e-commerce are, have a lot of up and downs, but I, I don't think those things matter. I think the longer terms uh, impact of what we've seen in the last two or three years will really be, impactful i i agree with you that from just a pure digital uh you know consumption or e-commerce perspective you know we've we've accelerated by you know some people are saying 10 years but i would say at least five five six years uh in terms mm-hmm. of the general adoption you know despite the fact that you know some of those let's call it covid stocks are being hit you know by by the public market today there's no doubt that you know e-commerce is going to continue growing there's no doubt that like work from home is going to continue growing that like tools enable people to work from anywhere, uh, you know, that, that's changed completely how a large portion of the population wants to live their life. And so that, that feels to me the biggest, one of the biggest changes. I want to see your thoughts, the, the work from home, because it's not like the technology didn't exist pre COVID in the before time, but it feels that took a cultural change for worker, you know, workplaces to change because it wasn't, again, it wasn't about technology. You could always outsource technology, but you would never, I mean, would you have hired uh, in your leadership roles, would you have hired in the before time someone like a senior leader who was not located in your head office? Is that was that part of your culture, or do you think that's changed for you and for? No, you? we 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 wouldn't have done it. I mean, we we did mm-hmm. it, and we we're trying to basically move people around. You know, like the really expensive kind of relocation, you know, yeah. type deals, which I know a lot kind of people Montreal, are right? You were based in Montreal. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to be a vice president of marketing, you're going to be in the office in Montreal, right? And the, would you do, would, the, would if you had to do, I had to do it all over again, but if you were doing the same thing today. Would, I mean, it's kind of crazy to say, but like five years ago, it was hard to get someone from Toronto to move to Montreal. Yeah, uh, and, uh, sure. But now the reality is that you can hire from anywhere. And so, you know, and, and like, even if we're rare circles, 
our, our team is, you know, uh, decentralized remote first. And mm. so like we have mm. people everywhere and, you know, like I agree with you, like earlier, earlier on, I would have had some concerns just around like, okay, like team engagement culture or like even just like, you know, work dynamics. But I realized that one, it's the reality of the world and there's tremendous benefits, I think for both what a company can do, but also for the lifestyle of the people involved. Uh, mm-hmm. but I definitely think that that's a, that's a big trend, right? It has nothing to do with selling stuff, but it's a big trend because what it means is that one, you can hire from anywhere in the world, but mm-hmm. it also means that the best talent in any city won't be limited to the opportunities in that city alone. Right. All right. So I think that's, and, a that, big was a, and that was a challenge for you. I know that was a, cha- that's a challenge for a lot of Montreal uh, brands, um, you know, or any, Toronto brands or whatever, Vancouver brands, because you, you know, you've got to broach beyond that addressable market right now how are you building team though amongst amongst rare circles do you get people together do you fly them all in like you still need to build some kind of adhesion some kind of cohesion to your culture right to to move your your vision forward no i, I think you need to have uh, i mean i mean oh, look it's, it's not a simple answer and i think all mm-hmm. of us are going to find out in the next few years where the challenges come with i think you need you need to have a strong well-defined culture i think you need to have like clear processes of like when are the meetings happening? How should people mm-hmm. communicate with each other? So that, that matters a lot. And you need to invest time in that. Uh, I do think that, you know, getting people together like once or twice or, or three, four times a year, I think makes sense. So this idea of like hubs, mm-hmm. uh, which I know Shopify is doing as well. I think, I think that makes sense to me. Uh, but ultimately, you know, on, on the other hand, I think you, accountability to me is the most important thing because you're not there. You don't see people work. But that said, you want to hire people that are highly accountable and will effectively get the job done regardless of what you do. And so that to me, once again, is the most important piece. And I I do think that for a lot of companies out there, it will be a challenge. And it will be a challenge not just to hire, but to even retain because, Mm -hmm. you know, the best companies in the world with the capital, uh, you know, that they have at their disposition is they're coming for your best talent. And it's definitely something that I would be worry about now just to finalize the kind of where, where i see you know commerce going the other trend obviously you know is that omni-channel you know is not even a like it's not a buzzword anymore everyone needs to be omni-channel everyone needs to be global it's table, so stakes. Like how, table stakes now, it's yeah. table stake right so now how do you manage that the complexity of such business you know within physical goods how do you think about you know your, your store basically even you know network how do you think about your distribution network i think there's going to be technology challenges and be strategy challenges but in the end uh, as I said before, I think investing in your community and your community mm-hmm. is all the stakeholders within, you know, uh, your company or your brand. I think that's going to be the the single most important thing uh, to invest in. The differentiator, right? If we if we say table stakes versus differentiators, that's great advice. Now, speaking of advice, last question, two starts, one stop advice for the listeners as they look forward, knowing what you know with your experience, all the new ventures that you've been looking at two things they should start doing and one thing they should stop doing? I think two things they should start doing. One is focus on their best customers uh, and like double down on who the, recognize who those customers are and double down on them. Uh, and I guess that links to, you know, the what not to do is to try to go too broad and try to think that everyone should be mm-hmm. a customer. I think, I think that's, that's, you know, not going to be a winning strategy going forward. Uh, the second piece is take more risk. The, the speed mm-hmm. is the, the speed of the world is moving so fast. Now, obviously we've seen that during COVID that, this idea of like studying something for a year or two and then implementing it for another year or two, it's too slow and, and you're likely going to fall behind. The risk of not moving fast is mm-hmm. much higher than the risk of moving faster. And so everyone needs to take more risk and you need to build your company so that you can absorb failure. Uh, and so 
uh, yeah, folks. So basically, focus on your best customer and take more risk and and don't go too broad. And be confident, I guess, if I unpack that a little bit, be confident that just because it's not perfect, I know in the in the tech world, it's, you know, minimum viable product kind of thing. But is that is that a key too, right, for, for business people is like, don't get hung up on perfection, just put it out there. Do you think consumers are, are changing in that they accept flaws more now? Or are they, I mean, it's a real paradox, right? On the one hand, Consumers are savage, right? They're they're savvy, and and they 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 just they just hate any imperfection. On the other hand, you want to get stuff out in the market, even though it's not perfect. Like, you know, it feels like we're at this kind of pivot point where you're trying to do both things. You have to keep up to the pace of change, but at the same time, you know, don't disappoint your customers, and their expectations are going up, not down. Like, it's a real challenge, right? Yeah, I, I think it's a real challenge, but that's the reason why, you know, my, my kind of third piece of advice is to figure mm-hmm. out what you want to be the best at and stick to that. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is if you're more focused on one area or one customer or one specific set of values, and then you become the most mission-driven company around that, then you can take a lot of risk against that because you're known for that. If right. you spread yourself too thin and all of a sudden you're speaking about all different kinds of social issues, things that you don't understand, things that you've never contributed in the past, then absolutely, you're going to get customer backlash and you're going to hear about it very, very quickly. Well, all right. Well, this has been great. Uh, where do folks go to learn more about Rare Circles or get in touch with you? Are you a LinkedIn guy? Uh, talk about that a bit. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get in touch, I would say Twitter is probably the easiest. Um, mm-hmm. I'm at Mr. Ethan Song on Twitter. If not, I mean, rarecircles.com is where you can learn more about the NFT business. Well, Ethan, such a treat to uh, chat with you. As always, uh, interesting and unexpected and uh, anticipating uh, great things uh, ahead. So congratulations on your on your success, and I wish you much uh, continued success with uh, everything you're working on. We'll be watching. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for tuning into this special episode of The Voice of Retail. If you haven't already, be sure and click and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so new episodes will land automatically twice a week. And check out my other retail industry media properties, the Remarkable Retail Podcast, Conversations with Commerce Next Podcast, and the Food Professor Podcast with Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. Last but not least, if you're into barbecue, check out my all-new YouTube barbecue show, Last Request Barbecue, with new episodes each and every week. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, president of Emmy LeBlanc Company and Maven Media. And if you're looking for more content or want to chat, follow me on LinkedIn or visit my website at emmyleblanc.co. Have a safe week, everyone.